Praise God again. I'm really excited to be here today to be able to share in the word of God. So I'd just like to once again reintroduce myself, just as Cephas has said. My name is Gavin, and I'll be taking us through uh, today's series that's from Acts chapter 12, from verse 20 to 24. So we'll be talking essentially about two things. So we'll be talking about uh, pride and God's exaltedness in humility. I'll be, and I'll be taking us through pride. Then Catherine, my colleague, will be taking us through God's exaltedness uh, in humility. And Cleve will finally wrap us off by concluding and by bringing the two points together and seeing how we can apply some of the things that we are actually going to be talking about. So for those of us who are joining from online, again, I want to welcome you. And I trust and I believe that um, you shall be blessed. So let's read from Acts chapter 12, from verse 20 to 24. We are reading the NIV version. Uh, he had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and that's Herod. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. So they shouted, this is the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and he died. Okay, usually in conventional um, sermons, after the word is read, you say, praise God. <laughs> well, I'm not sure at that point that will sound appropriate, but still there's a reason to praise God. Praise God. <laughs> yeah. So, what's pride? And how many of us think they are proud? Or how many of us think they are humble? You know, there's this belief, a common belief, uh, that if you think you're humble, then it means you're proud. I don't know how true that is, but uh, there's so many problems, um, I, I believe, in this world that are actually caused by pride. And if you look at, um, I mean, we don't even need to go so far back into history. Uh, we look at the world wars. It was the, mostly wars of conquest. What would cause uh, men to desire to you know, take over other people's lands and rule over other people, if not pride. So let's define pride. So pride, uh, this is uh, not a dictionary definition, but just some observations that I've made about pride. So there are three notions in pride. Number one is a sense of exaltedness or esteem above others or in comparison to others. So that's one element. Then there's also exclusivity in pride. You wouldn't feel proud about something which everybody or anybody can just easily um, obtain. I mean, if it's a car, if it's a house, if it was a neighborhood that anyone would just easily live in, you wouldn't have a reason to be proud, or is it? So then there's also selfishness. 
And uh, in this case, selfishness, uh, not just, I don't want to just focus on the individual alone, sometimes even community. You know, I come from a very cool community, or I come from a wonderful lineage. We have a great heritage. My great-grandfather was so-and-so. My father became so-and-so, you know? So there's that element of um, really being so much focused on yourself or on the clique that you actually belong to. So you bring in those three things and you have a prideful attitude. So my goal today isn't really to help you realize how proud or humble you are, but I just want us to be able to, or I believe, hope that by the end of the, of the sermon, we'll be able to sympathize with Herod and see him as a kindred spirit because the kind of struggles or the kinds of pitfalls that Herod fell into are very much uh, common to us today. As much as we may not all be kings, maybe there are some of us who are kings, uh, I, I believe still uh, this is something that we can all relate with very strongly. So the first point is on uh, Herod was an illustrious man and an impressionable man. So let me start with illustrious. Uh, Herod has, a, if you look at his history, Herod Agrippa in this case, um, three years into his birth, his father was assassinated. And then after that, um, he had to be sent into exile or he ran away to Rome uh, in fear of Herod, his grandfather, because his grandfather is the one who killed his father. And uh, later on, um, at about 23 CE, he was born in 10 CE, so that's about 33 years later, he came back to Judea and pleading with his um, uncle, Herod of Antipas, or Herod, is it Herod of Antipas? Herod Antipas, yes, Herod Antipas. Um, he was able to get a, an official position. And then later on, um, on the death of Philip, the Tetrarch, who was also his uncle, when Herod died, his kingdom was divided into three. And Philip was ruling one region, Antipas was ruling another region, and the other region was made a colony direct to be directly administered by Rome. So um, in 36 CE, after the death of Philip, um, Herod Antipas was, sorry, Herod Agrippa, whom we are talking about now, was in good favor with the Roman emperor at the time, and he appointed him to be, to take over from his uncle. Three years later, uh, Antipas tried to denounce him, and instead he was denounced. So what happened is now um, Herod Antipas, whom we are talking about, took over his region, and eventually he was given Judea and Samaria. So by the time we are speaking here, Herod was king of the entire Judean region. So he did have a reason to actually feel proud. So coming to us, uh, if you look at ourselves, there are certain talents God has given each of us. Opportunities, you know, the privilege to be born in a particular environment with a particular set of circumstances that somehow so you go through life, have it easy, have the doors open before you and you are thriving. At least for most of us or some of us, that's the situation. For And I mean, even if we feel like our lives have been a little bit hard, I'm sure there are certain um, milestones 
we can always recall and look in our lives and see the progress that we have been able to make. So all these things, as we think about them, they can fill our hearts with pride. So how do we deal with that? So the three things that I think if we are able to think about as we deal with how we understand or how we comprehend our success, then we'll keep ourselves from this pitfall. Number one, we need to understand that the position that we stand on is courtesy of God's favor or God's, um, should I say, election. It's, it just happened to you. You just happen to have the talents you have. You just happen to be born in the family you were born into, into the country you were born into. So these things came to us not because of anything we did. So even the fact that the message of the gospel has come to you and now you believe in Jesus is because of God's favor on you, not because of anything you did. So secondly, also, I think as believers, I believe maybe most of us are believers, but then as believers, one of the truths that we know from the scripture is that God has called us to collaborate with him. So even the things that we do, it's not about self-glorification. Even in our daily tasks, in our workplaces, it's about being able to contribute to the work of God. So if we also view ourselves as servants and having the privilege from God to be able to serve, then that will also help us in a sense to avoid the pitfalls of really focusing so much on our glory. Then I think the third thing and the final point that I want to make is we also need to have a community oriented mindset. You know, we are a body of Christ and all of us have different functions. God has given us different gifts to be able to serve this body. So if we are able to divorce ourselves from an individualistic mindset, which seems to be the pressure from our society, we've all been caved into thinking only about our lives, about our success, about those kind of things. Yeah? So if we divorce ourselves and see ourselves as part of a body, a glorious body of Christ, called to be able to serve the body and to be able to see all the parts of this body lifted up in exaltation to God, then we shall, be, we shall really be able to avoid um, taking up a prideful mindset. So finally, I want to also just briefly mention on the impressionable man that we see in, in Herod. So we see in verse 22, it said that uh, the people shouted and they said, this is the voice of a God and not a man. And well, we are not told that Herod suffered these words, but I believe he did because we are told he refused to give glory to God. He didn't do anything to rebuff the praise that was coming to him. So then I would say that uh, he actually suffered. He enjoyed these words. So now coming to us, as believers, we also need to be careful about the way we praise people. Do we praise people having our praise grounded in the truth of their identity? Yeah. We should be able to express our pleasure and our goodwill without necessarily sending people into the pride zone. 
you know? So that's something also we need to be careful about because otherwise you could be thinking, oh, you know, we are just praising people, but we are actually being the milestone. <laughs> we are being the tempter in this case. <laughs> yeah. So on the second point on Herod, uh, the flamboyant man, I'll just quickly go through this. So we see in verse 21 that uh, on the appointed day, Herod was dressed in his royal robes and he sat on his throne and he delivered an address. So also pride has symbols. There are certain things that it emits, like a, an order. Should I call it an order or should I call it a perfume? It depends on how you look at it. <laughs> so there are certain things that we can see. Uh, one is for Herod, we see his royal robes. His royal robes were distinct, distinct from everybody else's clothes. So we see exclusivity in that. And he also had a throne. The throne was a symbol of him being lifted above everybody else. So what about us? So let's be careful. For example, uh, our dressing, why do we dress the way we do? Do we dress the way we do to show off? You know, to stand out? or the people we associate with? Do we associate with certain groups of people because they seem more educated? Or they seem like they have more material things? Or they seem like these are the people who I need to go to my, my next step because they will connect me? So let's be very careful. And even prejudice. Prejudice is rooted in a prideful identity. When you talk of tribalism, in this country it's a has been a rife thing for quite a while. When you talk of racism, maybe we haven't experienced, at least my generation hasn't experienced racism. But I know in other places in the world, this is a sore thing. So the root of it is pride. So these are just some of the symbols of the order that comes out um, because of pride. So when pride is fully grown, its ultimate expression is to oppose God. And you see with Herod, he opposed God, he killed James, he attempted to kill Peter because of his pride and his desire to please people. And eventually what happened is God opposed him. So you know there's a verse that says uh, God, uh, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. I think it should, well I think it starts with the proud opposing God because you oppose the order in which he intends us to live, then God opposes you. <laughs> and then he gives grace to the humble. So thank you, I want to stop there and I want to invite Catherine to, be, to take us through God's exaltedness in humility. Good morning, church family, both here and online. It is an honor to stand before you. Um, I have to admit when Mbenisi called and asked me to be a part of this and he shared with me the scripture, I didn't think the first time I stood before you, I'd be preaching on a worm infestation. But here we are, and as we'll see, um, God alone is above all. And so he is here with us this morning. So as Gavin uh, has said, from here, we're going to look back at our story that we've read in Acts to see what we learn about God. He's taken us through what we've learned about man, but ultimately the Bible and all the stories within it, even stories about worm infestations, are to point us to God. They're to show us who God is. Uh, 
So this morning, I want us to see two big ideas about who God is, his exaltedness and his humility. So first, we're going to start to see that God is the exalted one. In this story, we see that God alone is God. He is exalted, or in other words, he is above all. As one of the guys said as we were preparing for this, he is boss. And I believe we see this in two ways in our story. The first is that we see God is mighty and powerful, and he rules and reigns above all. In a similar way, we also see him as exalted in this story in the way that he refuses to allow another to take his glory. In verse 23, we read, Herod was struck down because he did not give glory to God. We see here that the reason presented for Herod being struck down was just that. He did not give glory to God, period, full stop. He took it all for himself, and as a result, he died. You see, God alone is the exalted one, and he alone is worthy of the glory. He will not, and he cannot share it. We see that when man tries to take the glory, it does not end well for him. Maybe for some of us in this room, and I think maybe especially this morning, as we mourn the loss of one of our brothers, We say, this God steps in and kills people, and he wants all the glory for himself. Isn't that pride? Why would I want to serve that kind of God? Well, I would propose to you that in a world that is full of chaos and feeling like things are out of control, I come from the US, things feel out of control sometimes. These can actually for us be truths that bring us comfort. We have a God who is still in control. When politics and public health and the economy and our education and relationships and so many other things feel like they're falling apart, we can rest in this truth that our God reigns. He never changes. He holds it all in his hands. In a world full of changes, there is one who doesn't and all power belongs to him. Or maybe you're thinking today, okay, if this God is so powerful, if he can even strike a person dead just like that, then why can't he help me in my situation? Why can't he just act and do something? And I'll say this morning, we don't have so much time to go deeply into this, but to you I would say, I hear you. Life is hard. There's much suffering around us, and in your suffering, your personal suffering, God hears you. Even in this story, we see that God saw the persecution of his church, and he acted. And it is important that we also see how merciful he is, even to a guy like Herod. Herod had done a lot deserving death even before this point. As we've seen in weeks past, he had been persecuting the church. He had beheaded one of the church leaders. He had arrested another, and yet God showed mercy. We see God's heart here. I would encourage you to consider that perhaps 
in the bad circumstances that are around you. God is showing you mercy to bring you back to him, back to that constant, steady, all-powerful arms of a heavenly father. We even sang about it this morning, that even in the darkness, we still see him. But I would also say to you, let's keep listening. Because at this point, in as much as God is highly exalted, and we see his power on display here to oppose the pride of King Herod, I also want us to shift our eyes to see not just God as the exalted one, but let's also see him as the humble servant that he is. I want to take a few minutes for us to see that he chose humility in contrast to King Herod, who we have seen chose pride. You see, the King of Kings, King Jesus, though he is deserving of all of our exaltation, he stepped off his throne. He humbled himself as a servant to the point of death, even death on a cross. And he did so out of his great love for you and for me. He did so in order that we might be saved from the sin that leads to death, like that of Herod that we've seen this morning. And so now one of the best passages that I think reflects this humility of Christ is in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. So you can turn with me there, or it will be up on the screens. And the word of God says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. So with that description of who Jesus is and what he has done in our minds, in these next few moments, I want us to take a look at some of the great contrasts between Herod's way and the way of Jesus, and let us see the example of the humility our King of Kings has shown. So first, let us look at the contrast of the robes. Going back to our scripture in Acts, in verse 21, we read that Herod, as Gavin has mentioned, was dressed in royal robes. Wearing such robes, we can probably assume he wanted to draw attention to himself. As I was thinking about these robes of Herod, I was reflecting on my own wardrobe. Anyone who knows me well could probably tell you I'm not a fashionista. Clothes are not my thing. But, Michelle, I am a reformed sneakerhead. In other words, I love sneakers. Today, I still have too many, and I said Michelle because yesterday at her house, she said, how do you keep your sneakers so white? <laughs> Today, I still have too many, but before, 
let's just say my pastor in the States once said, Catherine, we should talk about this. <laughs> there was no better compliment than I like your kicks. Sneakers were my thing and I wanted to be noticed by them. And I never wanted to have the same sneakers as anyone else in the room. I wanted to stand out and be noticed. You can pray for me as I continue to overcome this temptation. Now, I'm not saying you should hate sneakers and clothes. A healthy appreciation of both is good for you, is good for the people around you, for your significant other. But hopefully you get my point that we can all put on things that we want people to notice us by. But moving on though, what about Jesus? What robes did he wear? Well, unlike with my sneakers, he did not desire to be noticed when he stepped into a room. Jesus did not wear any shiny robes to bring attention to himself. Rather than the garments of a king that he deserved, he put on the robes of a servant. What about the throne? We see again in our story that Herod was seated on his throne once more. He wanted to be on display for th before the people. But what about Jesus? On the other hand, he gave up his throne. And during his ministry, he was not seated high above the people. Instead, it was in places like the spot of kneeling next to his disciples to wash their feet or sitting by a well to talk to a Samaritan woman. I'll ask you this morning, what is your throne? I don't know about you, but I can often find myself seated on the throne that I have made for myself, above others, thinking I am better and they must talk up to me. Yet Jesus, the King of Kings, the one who is above all, gave up his throne to come and meet with me and meet with you. So maybe we should consider how we can get off our thrones and find a throne more like his. Maybe it's getting out of our office and going to be with our employees. Maybe it's getting out of our estates and going to have a meal with the kids on the street. Or maybe it's simply giving up the comfortable place that we've set for ourselves and going out and having an uncomfortable conversation. But perhaps the greatest contrast of all between Herod and Jesus are their deaths. You see, because of Herod's pride, he died at the hand of God in the most humiliating way, infested by worms. Because of his humility, though, Jesus willingly, that, willingly died to give God all the glory. Because of our sin, we too deserve death just like Herod. But while we deserve death, Jesus willingly took our place on the cross. And because of his death, we can receive grace. And the greatest news, church, is that unlike Herod, Jesus did not stay dead. He rose up out of the grave, and through his resurrection, he defeated sin and death once and for all. He is alive today, and he is now seated on his throne at the right hand of the Father. Because of Jesus' humble obedience, even to the point of death, he was 
and he is exalted. His name is above every other name. So on that note, I want to make one last point about Jesus from our story in Acts. We see in verse 24 that Luke writes, but the word of God continued to spread and flourish. And when you first read this, it seems a little strange. Herod died, and then the transition is, but the word of God continued. But I believe what it's saying is simply Jesus won. His name is continuing to spread and his church is being built. It is showing us that he is alive and he remains exalted. Church family, once more, let me, let me remind us from our story that God alone is exalted and he alone is deserving of all glory. And yet, as we see in Philippians, he humbled himself to come to us. This kind of king is worthy of celebrating and exalting. The same God we see in our story in Acts who takes down kings is the same God of Philippians 2 who humbled himself and came down to us. And that is the king we get to worship and we are called to imitate. So now let me turn it over to Cleve to share with us some ways to respond that are a little less like Herod and more like Jesus. But thank you, Catherine and Gavin. Uh, I'm going to land this with a clip because I know you guys love movies, as I've seen time and time again. <laughs> so I'm going to end with a clip from one of my favorite movies called The Clash of the Titans. Our daughter, the missionary. Have you seen what's happening out there? Have you even bothered to look? We serve as an inspiration. Hundreds of our men have lost their lives. Yet we celebrate. You're provoking the gods and you act as if there will be no consequence. Now what do you want? Should we be afraid? Should we be trembling and soiling ourselves in fear? The gods need us. They need our worship. What do we need of them? Look at my daughter. Don't. What could be more divine than her face? More beautiful than all the women of Greece, more beautiful than Aphrodite herself. The Olympians should envy her. We are the gods now. Yes. <laughs> I think that paints a clear picture of the world we live in today, where there's been an agenda being pushed each and every day that we are gods, that we can live independently of God. I'm here to tell you as Gavin and Catherine have, that we are not, <laughs> we are not even close to being God. We don't even deserve even to be in his presence. And the, the reason why we have an issue with this, the pride, is because we have the wrong view of ourselves. We need to have a correct view of who we are. We've been pushed by social media. The likes makes us feel good. And just to make a joke, because I write it in my script, <laughs> we buy stuff. We buy cars, phones, and take pictures in the toilet. I don't know why. 
just to show that we got the new iPhone. <laughs> but we live in a, in, in a world that overemphasizes on self-worth and self-esteem, giving us an importance that's not there. It has been mentioned before that we were not deserving of Christ. And even as Christians, we sometimes see ourselves as people who are deserving because of what we do. If we look at ourselves very keenly, we would see, and as I mentioned before, everything we do, every, every scene we think of, think of it, selfishness, envy, it's all rooted in pride. We cannot work even our own salvation and have pride in it that we've made it. We cannot. We cannot boast about it. And Paul has warned us before in, uh, in Ephesians that he talks about that this faith is a gift from God, not by works, lest we boast about it. When we have the correct view of ourselves, we see ourselves as undeserving. We see ourselves as people who were deserving of death and judgment. The other problem that we have with pride is because we have the wrong perspective of God in our lives. We have, most of the time, innocently exalted ourselves, people, and situation in our lives to a God-like status. I'm here to tell you that God has no equal. God is boss. Lord is not a nickname of God. It's a title, and he deserves it to be called Lord in our lives, not because um, there is something that he did, but because it's who he is. And when we lean into that truth, we come to realize that everything that happens, the people who are even in authority, us who are in authority, the gifts that has been given, he's the one who installs kings. He's the one who has the ability, who gives us the ability to work, to create wealth. He's the one who enables us to walk a spiritual life that is honoring to him. So all we have to do is just sit. So we cannot boast that we are gods. We have to recognize that God is God alone and he has no equal. When we have the right view of God, we stop looking at people as gods, but we see the God in them and we try to see God in our own lives. When we have the right view of God and we know that we are, he has no equal, we tend to look at situations in our lives, the hardships, the challenges, the problems, and we can confidently say, I am not able to do this, but I know who a person who is able to deal with this issue. I would like to end with a picture I took from Google. <laughs> um, someone can tell me what that is? The galaxy. <laughs> someone can point in the galaxy where Earth is. Somewhere. Is it, let, let me help, is, is it here? To the, to the right. Somewhere there, up, up a little, 
<laughs> Let me help you out. <laughs> Let me help you out, Michelle. On to the next slide. I'll show you where exactly we are. Right somewhere there. Can someone spot you? Can you, can you spot yourself right there? <laughs> but that's where we are. Doesn't it make you feel small? Well, I'm not here to make you feel small. I'm here to tell you, you are small. <laughs> you are insignificant. That's us. And to think about it, God says he holds all that in the palm of his hands. He looks at it every day in the palm of his hands. And he calls it good. We cannot define ourselves by who we are and have pride in what we do. But we can define ourselves significant, not because we say we are significant, but because God is significant and he loves us. To think about it, and just to reiterate uh, what Catherine has said, when we have the right view of God in his might and power, and we realize that in his might and power, he took a lowly form, as in the next picture that is coming, to do this. When we realize that this God, who holds the universe in his hands, came down as a servant, suffered a humiliating death so that you and I might be able to receive salvation. It leads us, our natural response should be not pride, but humility. Not pride, but worship. Thank you so much. <laughs>